If you look at the screen here, you'll see a picture of Andre Agassi, uh, uh, the number former number one world tennis player in the late 90s and early 2000s. And both critics and players alike said that uh, he, he's the best that's ever played. And he won eight grand slams and just a great guy, charismatic. But it's really interesting when his book came out, his autobiography called Open. You'll see it here. And he shares his true feelings about tennis. Let's uh, look at this together. He says, I hate tennis. I hate it with a dark secret passion and always have. I hate tennis. I hate it with all my heart. and Still I keep playing, keep hitting all morning and all afternoon because I have no choice. No matter how much I want to stop, I don't. He goes on to say, I keep begging myself to stop, and still I keep playing in this gap, this contradiction between what I want to do and what I actually do feels like the core of my life. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you're the most successful tennis player <laughs> in recent times. And, all. and he hates tennis, but he feels like he has to play tennis for some Reason. I mean, decades he's played tennis. I think we all can relate to that because that's the same relationship we have with sin. We hate sin. We don't want to sin. We don't want to displease God. We do not want to do things that would hurt other people. But we keep sinning. We keep sinning. It's a real, it's a real conundrum. Well, they were going to talk about hope in temptation. How you, through the Holy Spirit and the principles found in Scripture, can have victory in temptation. This is a continuation of our series, Hope Changes Everything. We started last week with the first passage, verses 1 through 12. In fact, let's just revisit some of those verses as we get ready for today's study. First Peter 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Last week we were talking about suffering and realizing that suffering is just temporary while we're here on earth. As compared to eternity, and of course these verses speak about our identity in Jesus Christ. This incredible mercy that he's withholding punishment because of what Christ did for us. That we're born again. We're we're spiritually alive. When people who don't know Jesus are spiritually dead. To a living hope. It's a hope that we, we, we hang on to every day. Jesus Christ is there, and he's going to deliver us into eternity. It goes on to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We talked about the fact that we're all spiritual billionaires, those who know Jesus. We don't belong here. We're exiles. We're strangers. Don't get comfortable here at all, because you'll be moving on. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But let's look at verse 13. 
It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at this. Where is the main verb? Well, it's set your hope. It goes on to say, fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope. The fact that Jesus Christ is coming back again. And the grace that will be shown. Now, why does he say that? Well, friends, again, we, we've talked about the fact that salvation is a, a process that happens uh, until we enter into eternity, then it's completed. So we're right now, in a sense, being saved by God. And when he talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ, he's saying that when we experience Christ coming back, if we're here, it's just going to be like, Wow! We will be blown away. We'll be blown away. You know what we'll be blown away by? We'll be blown away by God's grace. That He loves us so much. That He chose us as His children. That uh, we can have an eternal relationship with Him. I mean, when that happens, it's like, you know, we're going to be able to see so much more clearly And all we're going to be able to see is grace, grace, grace. So that's what we need to keep our eyes on every day. Grace. The grace that we're going to experience in the future. Set your hope. Fix your hope. It's a, it's like a military command in the original language. Fix your hope. Do this. Do this on a daily basis. Don't fix your hope on yourself. Don't fix your hope on your bank account. Don't fix your hope on your job. The only thing that is worthy of your hope is the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back again and that you will be saved. Amen? So set your part, your hope fully, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The idea of fully means totally. Totally. I mean, it's not halfway, half-baked. It's like you are totally committed Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, and that's why you're committing your hope to it on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting as we look at this, uh, there are some other things that we need to be doing. There's some participles that we need to understand here. So we're setting our hope fully on the grace that we're experience at the revelation of Jesus Christ. But the first one you see up there is preparing your minds. And the word in the original language is uh, to gird your minds. To gird your minds. Back in that day, they had these long, flowing robes. And uh, you can't run very fast in a long, flowing robe. So what they did is they had a belt or a sash, and they wrapped it around them, and they tightened it up so the robe wouldn't go all over the place. And then they take the corner parts of the robe and put it in the belt or the sash. They put the corner parts in there so they can move quickly. So that's what gird means. So we need to gird our minds. We need to be ready. We need to, to be always watchful of, of what Satan would want to do to us, how he would want to tempt us. We need to be always 
focusing our heart and mind on Jesus Christ. These are the things that he's talking about that we'll talk more about. We see in Exodus 12:11 a beautiful example of being ready. The Israelites, of course, uh, they've gone through all the plagues, and finally Pharaoh's going to let them go. The Passover uh, is going to take place in the sense of the angel of death passes over the Israelites because they put the blood on the door. But notice how he explains this. In this manner, you shall eat it, the Passover dinner, with your belt fastened, right there, girded, right, ready to go. It's all tucked in, and you're ready to go. they're leaving Egypt the next day. Because finally Pharaoh, uh, when his own son dies, and the firstborn of every family who did not cover uh, the door with blood died, uh, finally he changed his heart. Uh, so they were getting ready. Your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You, you get ready to go. You're going on an adventure. <laughs> Little did they know. And you shall eat in haste. So eat that quickly. Because you never know when the call is going to go out. They were ready to go. They were ready to leave the promised land. And friends, that's how we need to live our lives on a daily basis with our eyes on eternity, our eyes on the grace that comes at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we need to be ready. We need to gird our minds. We need to ask the Lord to help us to walk humbly and and to help us to overcome sin and have victory over temptation. And we need to feed our spiritual soul on a regular basis. We need to pay attention uh, to our soul, our inner life. Well, there's another thing he says here. Uh, he says, uh, let me go back to the, or go forward, I guess, to the next slide. So we talked about preparing your minds. Now, being sober-minded. Being sober-minded. Now, when you think about sobriety, you think about, well, you're intoxicated uh, with something. And what he's saying here is you need to be sober-minded in the way you walk with Jesus. You, 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 you should not be intoxicated by the world. That's the bottom line. That's what he's getting to. You can become intoxicated by the world. Funny story I read this past week about a German farmer. And he's trying to get a bull off his property. And he had a large property. And there were some woods. And there were other people that lived around the woods. And he did everything that he could to get rid of that stupid bull. <laughs> he tried to lasso him. He tried to tranquilize her gun. Nothing worked. Now, there's a guy on the other side of the woods who had the same problem, of course. The bull coming in and making all kinds of uh, problems, uh, you know, damaging things. And so he noticed that the, the bull was eating out of a pail, eating some grain. So he got an idea. The next day, he took that grain and he soaked it in vodka. And the bull came to the pail and uh, enjoyed that grain. Better grain than he's ever tasted before. <laughs> the next day, the guy doubled the portion of vodka. <laughs> so this bull was very easy to catch because it was drunk. <laughs> and you know what? That's exactly 
where Satan wants you. He wants you drunk on the world. He wants you chasing after the world's values. He wants you buying in the different things that you hear that will bring you joy, that will bring you uh, satisfaction. That's where he wants you because when you are weakened like that, when you're intoxicated by the world, I tell you, it is so easy for him to move in and tempt you and uh, sin, for you to fall deeper into sin or uh, for, for your situation to get worse and worse because you just are intoxicated by the world. You're not sensitive to God and he just has a heyday. That's why we need to be sober-minded in everything that we do. That basically just means walking closely with Jesus and continuing to feed on His Word. In 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15, it says, As obedient children... Now, what did you say as obedient children? Not because necessarily they were ideally obedient, but it was because they were children of God. They were made in the image of God. So, therefore, they should be obedient. So, it's a calling. What are you saying? You should be obedient children. That's what you're saying. You should be obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Remember when we studied God's attributes and we talked about His holiness, that He's set apart, He's totally different than anything else. He is uh, pure in every way, not one speck of sin is a part of who God is. Well, God calls us to live like Him, to be holy in the way that we live and the decisions we make and the things that we say and the people we hang out with and all those different types of things. He wants us to grow in holiness at the cross. We were given positional, uh, positional justification. We were made holy at the cross uh, in heaven. God sees us as holy. But there's this progressive trail that we go on called sanctification of becoming more and more like God throughout life through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're never going to be perfect. There's so much sin there. But hopefully we're going to make some progress as God changes us. So we want to talk about the fact that during this process, our goal is holiness, which we'll only reach in heaven. But our goal is holiness. So he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, what is he talking about here? Do not be conformed. To your life that you were living before when you were intoxicated by the world, when you were buying into all the lies, when you were hurting, when you thought you knew you were going the wrong way, but you were lost. Don't do that. Don't go back there. All right? Don't let the world fashion you. And that's what conform means. It means fashion. You're molding something and you're fashioning it. Now, there's two things that work to fashion you. Number one... God is at work fashioning you right now. He has a plan for you. We talked last week about how He allows trials in our life to test us, to help us to trust in Him and not anything else. He, he doesn't want 
his number one goal is not for us to have the greatest life ever. His number one goal is for our character to grow, to become more like Jesus Christ. And that's why he puts us through trouble sometimes in order to kind of heat up the the gold so the impurities rise to the top and we can take the impurities out and that gold can be used by him for his uh, glory. That's what he wants. He wants to fashion you. He wants to continue to develop you and help you to experience what it's like to be him in terms of uh, purity. But there's also somebody else working on you, and that's Satan and his demons. And their job is they want to fashion you to this world. They want you to buy into it. Romans 12, do not be conformed. Do not be fashioned by this world. So Jesus is trying to fashion you. Satan's trying to fashion you. This is his world. He's a prince of the world. And he's controlling things. You look around the U.S. and look around the world, and you can see that's very true. This is Satan's world. I mean, all the terrible things that we see on the news are all the products of Satan. So the point is, who are you going to let mold you? Do you want you really want to let Satan mold you? Really? I don't think any of us. Yeah, I'd like that. But that is exactly what's going on in some of your lives. You're buying into the world. You're buying into materialism. You're buying into uh, living for pleasure. You're buying into uh, living for prestige. Uh, having the next best thing, whatever it might be, that's more important to you than God. Well, that means you are intoxicated by the world. And we all have different levels of intoxication, I guess you could say. None of us are perfect, and that's why we need to watch our lives very carefully and have the Holy Spirit point out those areas where we're starting to drift toward the world. Because we don't want to be fashioned by Satan. We want to be fashioned by Jesus Christ. We want Him to be the one who makes us more like Him. So, now we're going to get right to the heart of this thing. And that's temptation. Because what Satan wants to do is he wants to tempt you so he can have you buy into sin and he can mold you. Now, James 1.13-16 Amazing. This is the one time in Scripture when God really details how sin takes place, the process. So we need to pay careful attention to this, right? God is telling us how Satan works. In James 1.13 it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, for he himself tempts no one. God is not tempting you. God is holy. God doesn't even have the ability to tempt you. We, we more often blame Satan. Well, Satan made me do that. Uh, Satan, you know, it's all Satan's fault. Well, no. You make the decision. It's your decision. Satan certainly can set up certain events and put you in certain environments uh, where you're more likely to sin, but you make the choice. In fact, God, remember last week we talked about, again, the gold and how God tests us. 
in order to fashion us. He puts us through difficult situations while Satan tempts us. In fact, it's fascinating that that word for tempt and test is uh, the same Greek word, periosimo. But it's used in different contexts. And you have to study the context to figure out, okay, is it talking about God testing me to make me more pure? Or is it about Satan tempting me? And, of course, here we're talking about uh, being tempted. Then we move on to 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 13. Here are some real comforting verses about temptation. Uh, no temptation has overtake you. It is not common to man. You might be thinking, nobody else is tempted by what I'm tempted by. And you are dead wrong. There are so many people in the same congregation. Oh, no, 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 you don't know what I'm tempted by. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And there are so many other people in the world, in this area, that are tempted by the same thing you're tempted. So don't put yourself in a special category and say, well, I'm a special deal because, you know. No, you're not. All right. God is your faith. God is faithful. Right there. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Isn't that comforting? Just to know that. And with all kinds of temptations around us. And the fact is that if we're walking with the Spirit and letting God live through us, that we will be able to overcome or escape a temptation. He's not going to blow our doors off. He is not going to bring a temptation that's going to blow us out of the water that we cannot handle with the Holy Spirit. Because again, He's our Father. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Who doesn't love an escape hatch when you need one? Right? So we're going to talk about some of the principles that can help you escape uh, from temptation. But God, if you're, if you're in the midst of temptation, you can seek God out and say, show me the escape hatch. Where is the escape hatch? Like you see in movies. <laughs> Other older movies like Beside Adventure. <laughs> Where is the escape hatch? How do I get out of here? Right? Well, he's promised that. And that you will be able to endure it. If you're under great temptation, that's a verse you have to own. And then Hebrews 4.15, another great verse. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's the amazing thing about Christianity that we have a God that we pray to who's experienced the same thing we have. I mean, Jesus Christ was a carpenter for 30 years. Well, probably not when he was an infant, but uh, you know, probably about 20 years okay, before he went into ministry. And he was a man. He was fully man and fully God. Was he ever tempted with sexual lust? Duh, well, of course he was on a daily basis like most men are, right? He was tempted with it, but he never sinned. He never took the bait. You think about him working in a carpenter shop and 
You got people coming in, complaining about stuff, right? You think Abraham was tempted just to say, hey, who do you think you are? I think he was, but he didn't. Because he did not sin. He was tempted. He felt exactly what you and I feel when we're tempted. He knows what that's like. And when the Pharisees were ripping him apart, when he was on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do now. I'm sure there were times when he was really getting tired of the Pharisees, right? But did he ever lash out at them? Well, he did it in righteous anger, but he never lost his cool in the sense of uh, sinning against them. I mean, Jesus was tempted on a daily basis, just like you and I. And that is the most comforting thing. When I go to God in prayer and say, Lord, I am so tempted by this. Can you please empower me? Please fashion me. I don't want to be fashioned by the world in any way. Let me go on to James 1.14. It says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So here we're getting into the anatomy of a temptation. So lured is uh, from uh, fishing, the idea of putting the right type of bait on. So as you, as you go through this time with me, I want you to think about what your signature sin is. You might have one, two, three, but, but what is the one sin that you tend to go back to? What is the one that you continue to struggle with? We all have them, okay? And you know what it is, and I'll tell you what, Satan knows what it is. And God knows what it is, of course. So think about it as we, we go through this and apply these principles to that particular temptation. So he's lured. What, what Satan does is he, put a, he puts bait that's designed especially for us. Because he's been working on mankind with his demons for thousands of years, and he knows every trick in the book. I mean, he, he, he's an expert, so we better be crying out to God when we're working with an expert. But, but he develops this particular type of bait that we are really attracted to. All right? And entice, that's a word from the hunting world, the idea of... Uh, Snaring an animal, uh, trapping an animal, dragging an animal away. Satan wants to catch us and grab us and chew us up like a roaring lion. That's what he wants to do to you, and that's what he wants to do to your children. He wants to do that to your kids. So so you need to continue to teach your kids and, and bring them out to you know, activities here at Springbrook, in order that they might not become intoxicated by our world. You think of the younger generation and where our culture is going. It's become more and more challenging uh, to do that. And enticed by his own desire. His own desire. Our desires get us uh, into trouble, of course. Uh, we read over in uh, verse 15 of James chapter 1. And it says, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. I thought this is always interesting to think about this. Okay, he describes the development of sin as first conceiving. Now, sin always starts in the mind, right? 
always starts with an idea, with a thought. Okay? And then you think about the birth process, you know, with humans, it's nine months typically. And and then it, it says it continues to grow. And when it's full grown, it brings forth death. Many times... I think we get this idea of temptation uh, just coming up out of nowhere. Oh, we just have to deal with this temptation. Oh, no, 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 no. Satan has a plan for your life. Did you know that he could be constructing a plan right now to tempt you and bring you down in ten years? No. Yeah. He's been around a while. He has time to wait. <laughs> think about that. That's how uh, skilled he is. He can start doing things now in your life where it's going to eventually lead you down a certain path. Because when you think about conception to full-grown adult, well, that takes a while, right? So right now, in each of us, in our souls, we have uh, pieces in there that are growing if we're allowing them to grow. Big weeds of sin. That Satan has planted. And we've got to decide whether we're going to you know, pull those weeds or whether we're going to just let them grow because they always are very innocent and uh, we're always rationalizing and say, well, it's not that bad compared to other people in the world. And we just, like a frog in the kettle, that type of thing. But I really want you to understand that is that Satan has long-term plans for you. It's just not today that he's thinking about. Satan's thinking five years down the road, the way he can bring you down. So that's why it's so important that we pray to God and ask for wisdom so he can reveal these plans and he can show us where we're drifting. Uh, We continue. Excuse me. Oh, my wife told me never to tell this illustration again, but she's not here, so I'm going to share it. And many of you heard it before. How does an Eskimo kill a wolf? What they do is they take a knife, and they dip it in blood, and they freeze it, and they dip it in blood again, and they freeze it again. And then they put it out and put it into the ground. So the wolf comes along, starts to you know, lap it up. Ooh, blood, his favorite food. <laughs> he laps it up and laps it up and laps it up until he does not realize he's drinking his own blood, bringing his own death. And friends, I cannot think of a more powerful illustration of how sin works. Sin makes it so attractive. It looks like this is the best thing that could ever happen to you. But as it drags you down, as you take the bait, and you get deeper and deeper into it, it eventually destroys you. Destroys your Christian witness. Uh, keeps you away from God. That's how... It, we're talking about really serious, dangerous stuff here. We're talking about supernatural uh, warfare 
There's a battle going on, guys, and it's for us. And and God, uh, excuse me, Satan wants to minimize us. He wants to take us off the playing field. He doesn't want us involved. And he'll use his tactics to do that. And that's why it's so important that we uh, cover our lives uh, with prayer. In 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded. There you see it again. You know, sometimes you just kind of listfully go through life and, you know, we're thinking about all the things we have to do today and we just don't give a lot of thought that we're in the middle of a battlefield. <laughs> we're in the middle of a battlefield. We've got to put our spiritual armor on and we have to maintain our soul, our mind. We need to make sure there's no weeds growing there uh, in order uh, for God to protect us. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, it says that God tells us how Satan does his tricks. So, therefore, we know. We know how he works. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. So, Paul's saying, hey, we know how he works. And you know what he does? He loves when you're vulnerable. You've probably heard uh, this, an acronym before, HALT, right? It's when you're most vulnerable to things. When you're hungry. Hungry? Yeah, anybody hungry? <laughs> when you're angry? When you're lonely? And when you're tired? Stressed? Fatigued, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and stressed. And that's when Satan loves to strike. That's when you're weakened. That's when he can move in and you will respond differently because you're, you're not walking with God or you're overwhelmed by things, so you're kind of keeping God out of things, whatever. But he's coming after you. At that point, to take you apart. Last uh, week, last year's Super Bowl between the uh, Denver Broncos and the Seattle uh, Seahawks. Of course, Denver was uh, trounced uh, that particular game. And it was interesting, uh, the largest worldwide porn site, you know, can tell who's looking at their porn in whatever area. And they monitored... Uh, they monitored Denver. And what they found is, is that before the game, only 50% were looking at porn, of what they usually see, 50%. And then after the game, it went up to 110%. 110%. Why? Because they were angry. I don't think they were hungry. But... <laughs> You know, we all self-medicate, don't we? What, what, what is, what's your signature sin? What, what, how do you self-medicate yourself when life is painful, when life is not uh, satisfying, when you're going through hard times? You know, is it alcohol or other type of drugs or food or entertainment or some type of escapism? You know, we, we should not turn to those things, but we, we so many times do, we should turn to Jesus, right? 
I mean, she said, go to God. I am hurting so much. I am so frustrated. I, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what the answer is. And we should let him minister to us through his word instead of these other medications that we take. So, let's talk about how we can overcome uh, addiction or, uh, excuse me, temptation. Uh, a poll was done of Christians. What helps you the most? Well, 84% said prayer. 76% avoiding compromising situations where, you know, you might uh, be in a, a situation where you might be led to sin. 66% Bible study and 52% set accountability. So that tells you how you deal with temptation. First of all, you deal with it with the Word of God. Psalm 119.11, I have stored your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Friends, what did Jesus Christ do when Satan tempted him in the wilderness? He quoted Scripture. And I think he did it more for us than for him. Because he wanted to show us how to deal with Satan. You get that sword out, right? You get the biblical sword out and you say, Okay, Satan, you're telling me these lies, but here's the truth. So if you're struggling uh, with a particular temptation, again, I just get on Google and say Bible verses on whatever it is. And you'll come up with a lot of verses. And you pick out a couple that really speak to you and resonate with you in the Holy Spirit is showing you, and then you memorize those. I know some people can't seem to memorize things, uh, but try, just do your best. Kind of get the gist of the verse. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, Pastor Rich, we, we were using another Bible program uh, to try to encourage you to memorize, but uh, we have a new one, uh, Scripture Typer. Anybody using Scripture Typer out there? Yeah. Scripture Typer is just awesome. It's on the Internet. It can be on your smartphone. Uh, you can put the verses that you want in there in whatever category. Uh, you can download it to your smartphone. You can use flashcards. So I would encourage you to check out Scripture Typer today in relationship to your temptation. Very easy to figure out, and it's got a lot of great ways to review and get to know verses. But that is the most powerful thing you can throw at Satan is the truth of the Scripture. Another thing you can do is get out of the situation. Get out of compromising situations. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Don't just, you know, hang around, see what happens. <laughs> flee! Get out of there. Every other sin as a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Isn't that interesting? This is the only sin that I'm aware of classified in the Bible in such a way that this type of sin impacts you in no other way than other sins. Uh, it does something to you. And, of course, you know, there's rampant pornography uh, that we see and we look at the younger generation. It's kind of like, wow, you know, <laughs> where are we going the family falling apart. Uh, there are so many reasons why you shouldn't look at porn, even if you're not a Christ follower. Uh, it just damages relationships. 
and, and there was a survey done that of 18 to 30 year old or 18 to 30 year olds and said that 65 percent uh, looked at porn on a weekly basis and that uh, another 17 percent looked at porn on a monthly basis. Friends, it's becoming part of our culture. That's another one of Satan's tools to drag us down. And it's really not that much different in the evangelical church. You know, there are people in this room that uh, are addicted to porn. And, and, and friend, I just, I just ask you to take a step today. TripleXChurch.com has all kinds of resources about how to deal with pornography addictions. Uh, and please, if you feel comfortable, talk with one of the pastors, myself, a small group leader, a friend you trust, and just tell them there is such power in telling someone about your temptation and have some type of accountability there and say, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray with me? Would you ask me about how it's going? Now, that really changes everything when you bring it out into the open. It really does. Then in uh, 1 Corinthians 15:33, it says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Some of you need to say goodbye to some friendships in your life. Some of you are hanging around with people. Uh, they're your closer friends, maybe, who are not Christ followers and are not living the life. And I tell you what, friends, they're going to bring you down. Satan's going to use you, use them, that is, to bring you down. And oh, they're my friends, you know, I know them through from, you know, uh, grade school. I don't care how long you'd known them. I don't care if you were in the womb with them. <laughs> okay? Stop it. I mean, you still can have some type of relationship, but the more personal the relationship, the more they impact you and their values. I always say the three to five people that are closest to you impact you the most. You've got to surround yourself with Christ followers. In fact, Gary Smalley, uh, in one of his books, was talking about trying to get rid of a big weed in his yard. And he went out and he got all the different weed killers that he could find, and nothing would kill this stupid weed. So he called a professional, and they said, well, you've got to grow grass. What do you mean I've got to grow grass? Yeah, you've got to grow grass because the grass will take the nutrients and the moisture and kill the weed. Well, friends, that's what we need to do. If you're struggling with temptation, you need to be with other Christ followers. You need to join a small group so you can hear about the victories and the struggles that other Christ followers have. You don't have to share your own unless you feel so led. Get involved in a small group. Take that step. Yes, it takes time, but it's worth it because we have to do church together. We have to uh, walk alongside each other. We have to have other Christ followers who are modeling the Christian life for us. Please become involved in a small group. And there's might have a bad experience in a small group. Uh, it might not be what you think. There's a lot of different small groups to try out. So don't use that as an excuse. Do it. And men, you show up to this No Regrets Conference. Make it happen. Get that card out of the bulletin. And... Make sure you're there because that is going to be just growing all kinds of healthy grass in your life as you're taking God's word and you see men who are standing up for Jesus Christ while you're in an, you're in an office all week long with people who don't know Jesus. All right? I mean, you have to be 
but it's not really a good work environment. <laughs> so you need to hang around other Christian guys as much as you can in order to encourage you. Then finally, Matthew twenty six forty one, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That was Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was at his lowest point, struggling with going to the cross, and his disciples came with him to pray, and they fell asleep. <laughs> you see, friends, we don't want to fall asleep. If we're in the midst of a battle, we don't have time just to kind of, you know, do our own thing, that kind of thing, and think, well, it's no big deal. Well, it is a big deal. Because the more you allow sin in your life, the more you cultivate it, the more you let it grow in your soul, it will become a cancer. Now, all of us are in the same boat. We all have sin in our soul. But the, the choice is, what are we going to do? We have got to eradicate it. We've got to get other people to keep us accountable. We've got to memorize and, and meditate on Scripture. We have to see this world from God's eyes. This world is a trash heap. You walk out there, it's a trash heap. You go to a shopping mall, it's a trash heap. You go to a dealership, it's a trash heap. That's the way you need to view things that you really, really like to get an eternal perspective. We're going to pray just for a moment here. And I just want you to think of that signature sin in your life, the one that comes so quickly to mind. And I want you to, first of all, uh, just to confess it to God. If you haven't confessed it, confess it to God. Say, Lord, I know this is wrong. And prayer is the number one way to deal with temptation. You just keep on praying. Keep on trusting in God. Whether you're feeling it or you're not. And then Scripture. Make a decision that today you are going to pick out some verses that you're going to memorize and that you're going to work with. And then accountability. You say, well, I couldn't tell anybody that. Well... Uh, you probably have a friend that really cares about you. And, and the problem is that most of those people think that we're not spiritual enough. And other people will think we're freaks. Well, we're all freaks. <laughs> we're all messed up, Lord. It's amazing, just as I do ministry, to see the pain in my own life and the pain in other people's lives. So why do we pretend? Why do we pretend that everything is okay? We need to be accountable to one another. Just take a moment to pray to God as you will. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for our time together. It was a very powerful truths you're teaching us we're being reminded of and a lot of us have heard this over and over and over again but we just need to be reminded because we forget and I pray for all my friends and myself that we would face this week in a new way that we would prepare ourselves for the 
temptation, our signature sin that comes our way. I pray that we would tell someone. That's hard to do, but I, I pray that we would get the courage through your Spirit to tell someone about what it is. Lord, thank you that uh, you're not going to give us more than we can handle. Thank you uh, that you are going give to us, give us an escape route. And thank you that you're faithful and will help us endure. In Christ's name, amen.